We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Greetings everyone and hello everybody that is in a warm place we hope. In a warm place at your home. Hopefully you are not watching the Cowboys who last time I heard are down terribly at halftime to those awful no good Packers. Those Cowboys, aren't you glad you didn't stay at home to watch that? Amen. Oh, man, I can't help but laugh at that a little bit. I hate it when the Cowboys lose, but, man, if they're going to lose, it ought to be during church time while people are... (laughs) Y'all know what I'm saying. God bless you all. I hope that you're still having a happy new year. Are you today? Good. Very good. You're here at Redemption Church, and my name is Chris Fluitt. And I'm glad to share the Word of God with you. The Word of God has so much to show us. I hope that you are enjoying your reading plans. And speaking of reading plans, get out your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. One of those books with pages, that's great. One of those little computer doodads that you click on and you go to like Bible Gateway or something. Matthew 13 and 11, 1, 13, 1, that'll get us there. And if you don't have any of that stuff, we got it here on the screens for you. I hope that your Bible reading plan is going good. If you don't have a plan, go ahead and get one, all right? It could be to just read through one book of the Bible. For some people, that would be the most they've ever read in the Bible. You could do that this year. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about that. We want to see you know more and more. Every time I read the Bible, it's got something to show me. And sometimes it shows me stuff that, Meredith, I swear it's brand new. I swear this wasn't in the Bible before I read it today. You ever know what I'm talking about? You read it and you're like, I never remember seeing it. Of course, it, it's just new to me. It's always been there, but it feels like, whoa, brand new. This is one of those things here. It's Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. Very simple verse. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. I read that. And I was just blown away. I'm like, what is going on here? Does anybody see it? Anybody see something that jumps out to them there? It's not the lake. That is it. The verse made me ask, what house? It just says it so nonchalantly. Rick, it's like Jesus just left the house one day. Just like you and me say, well, you know, I was getting up and I got out of the house one day. It says it just like that. But it made me go, what house, right? Because it made you ask this, does Jesus somehow own a house? Because I was led to believe in scripture that Jesus didn't have a house, that he was homeless, right? Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, he says, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And to me, that says this, that foxes have a den to call their own. Birds have a nest to call their own. But the Son of Man does not have a place to call his own. Are you glad for a place to go home to tonight and lay down your head? So I, I believe it's pretty clear. Jesus did not actually own a home. Nothing against owning a home. That's not the point of this sermon at all. It brings me back to the question. Whose house is it? Look at somebody say, whose house is it? Mark chapter 1. So sometimes to study 
you have to get out of the book you're in and go to another place in the Bible that talks about the same situation. So I turn to Mark chapter 1 and it tells me where the house is and whose house is it. So let's look together. Mark chapter 1 verse 21. Then they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Where is he? What city? Capernaum. Everybody say Capernaum. Capernaum. That's on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. If you've got uh, the Israel, it's a long country. Towards the top, you have the Sea of Galilee. And on the very northern tip of that Sea of Galilee, you have Capernaum, Capernaum a village. And Capernaum appears 16 times in the Gospels. And a lot of Jesus' major activity, miracles, and teachings happen in the village of Capernaum. So we're in Mark chapter 1. We're at verse 21. Now we jump down to verse 29. Let's look at that. As soon as they left the synagogue, where's the synagogue at? We were already told, verse 21, Capernaum. They went with James and John to the home of Simon, Simon and Andrew. Now, so now we have a place and we have a name of the owner of this house. It is the city of Capernaum. And it is the people that own it is Simon and Andrew. Simon's also known as Peter. Peter. Simon, Peter, and Andrew in the village of Capernaum have a house. And this is the house where Jesus stayed. This is the house that Matthew 13 says, and one day Jesus just got out of the house and went to sit by the lake. That is the house. Now that we know that, see you guys. I'll see you next week. Now I've got more to talk about than that because this really is more than just a factoid. It's more than just a little Bible uh, knowledge or a little Bible trivia of what what house did Jesus stay in in Capernaum? No, it's more than that. The Bible always has more for us than that. God's truth always has more for us than that. Who wants more today? Good. Those four people wanted it. That's so good. I'll keep preaching till y'all do. I'm joking with you. Listen, we're back in Mark. In Mark chapter 1, we're told of a time Jesus is walking on the seashore. I wonder what sea it was. It was Galilee, because it's Mark 1. And he walks by a couple of people. He says, follow me. Know this story? He says, follow me to Peter and Andrew and also to James and John. That's in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. When he says, follow me, that's his uh, invitation to be a disciple. That's his invitation to be a part of what he's doing. Aren't you glad that Jesus still gives the invitation to follow him? Have you ever felt Jesus reach out and ask you to follow him? And do his work. I have. I have. And more than just profess a religion. They follow Jesus. There's a big difference between saying. I'm such and such religion. Versus I am an active follower of Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. I hear his teaching. And then I go and do it. And very quickly. In Mark chapter 1. They get the call to follow And they invite him to their house. Doesn't take a long time. It's a short amount of time. In Mark chapter 1, 
It's just a few verses later. Jesus is at the house of Peter and Andrew. You know, if you're visiting someone's house, that's a big first step in a relationship. I've got this kind of rule. If I've never really been, if I've never been to your house, there's something about our relationship. We've, we've not crossed that threshold. It's, kind of, it's a big deal to walk into someone's house and be there. It's another big deal to like go eat together in your houses. That's a big invitation for me. It's another big thing to just like show up and hang out at a house. I have, you know, it's really close friendship where they can just show up at the house unannounced and no one's surprised by, oh, they're here. Yeah, here they are. Hey, come on in. You know, Get you something from the fridge. We'll sit down and talk. Like that is some really cool friendship. It is quite another thing to invite someone to stay at your house. That is more than a good relationship. That's a committed relationship. Come stay at my house. Some of you, have you ever invited someone to stay at your house? Maybe they were in time of need. Maybe they were traveling. But you invited them to stay at your house. That's big. That's a committed relationship. And I want you to imagine for a few moments what it might have felt like to have Jesus Christ staying in their house. They might get up in the middle of the night, wander to the kitchen to get a little piece of food and bump into Jesus in the middle of the night. Say, oh yeah, I was just going to get a piece of bread. And he says, I am the bread of life or something like that. <laughs> something like that. You just run into Jesus or you get up early in the morning. What if Jesus is already like cooking breakfast or something? Imagine that. Or you just... You're, you're go, you've had a rough day and you go home and you like slam the door, you're so angry and you turn around and Jesus is like, hey, you want to talk about it? Like imagine having Jesus in your home. And this is the same house, bring this home to you. This is the same house that Jesus taught and revealed mysterious parables. Often he would teach the parable out there and people are like, I have no idea what that means. And she'd say, hey, come back to me, to the house. And back at the house, he would explain what the parable of the sower and the seed and the dirt were. He'd explain what that pearl of great price was. He'd pray, he would explain about what that, that good Samaritan story was all about. All these stories that you love so much. Imagine going back home and Jesus right there across your table tells you, about what it means for him to be the vine and for you to be the branches. To tell you what the lost coin is. Ah, wonderful parables. It's also the place of miracles happen in this very house. There is a house where they take off of the roof and lower a man through the, the, the roof and he's paralyzed. You know that story? And Jesus says, you're healed, but he also says your sins are forgiven. You know that? Yeah. It's probably this house. We can't prove it. If you watch The Chosen, it shows you it's that house. And so that's pretty inspired, The Chosen. We like it. I love it. So miracles happen. Where? Not at a far-off church conference. Right? Not after 21 days of fasting and suddenly, bam, with this miracle. No. Just like it was like an everyday occurrence with Jesus. 
Your, their home was marked with miracles. Yeah. And then, if that wasn't enough, there was this just closeness with Jesus. He belonged in your house. He, had a, he was a guest in your house. He was, he was someone you served and loved, and he was right there in your house. You didn't ever have to go hardly looking for Jesus. He was at home. I want to tell you quickly about day one with Jesus. So Mark 1, if you want to see day one with Jesus, Mark 1 is just this kind of long action-packed story from Mark. And it, you know, it goes from follow me to we have this story in Mark chapter 1. It's verse 30. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with the fever. I wonder where she was. She was at home. She was at Simon Peter's house. We know this. And... She's in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her because Jesus was in the house. You get this? All right. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Day one with Jesus. He says, follow me. We hear him teach at the synagogue. Come home with me. He heals our loved ones right in front of us. It's day one with Jesus. But then here's my favorite part. The, what's the little last part of this? It says, the whole town gathered at the what door? The door of the house. Whose house? Simon Peter and Andrew's house. The door where Jesus is staying. Everybody was gathered to the door. Of course, Jesus also teaches that he is the door. door that he is the way to the Father. And all these people are gathered at the door. And Jesus has been there one day. Jesus comes to your home. Everything just kind of changes, doesn't it? They had never seen anything like this before, Peter, in Andrew's house. And everybody in the city was drawn to their door because they hadn't seen anything like it either. Oh, how beautiful it is to have Jesus come home with us. Jesus is in the house and the whole town gathered at the door. Imagine that. Now, here's what we usually do. We imagine usually the church building being the house. I don't want you to think about that in a moment at, at, at all today. It'd be cool if people were gathered at that door, but I believe what Jesus has for us today is a picture of your house. And they're at your door. And they're coming inside to meet the Jesus that's living with you. Jesus then meets Matthew. We skip over to Matthew. He writes about himself in this story. It's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. I love this story. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And when, when you ever say some of the bad guys in like children's little plays, they used to boo the characters. Yeah. like said, And then the no good robber game on. Everybody go, boo! And they might throw things at the puppet stage. Right? For, for, the he, 
for the Jewish culture, when you mentioned a tax collector, that same audience would say, boo, that's a, that's a betrayal. That's a no good cheat. There's all kinds of backstory there. But just know this, the tax collectors were taking advantage of everybody and they were overcharging everyone's taxes and taking the bonus, the rest of it, and putting it in their pocket. That was what tax collectors did. And so Jesus saw a man named Matthew and he says something unthinkable. He says those two words, the same two words that he said to Peter and Andrew, to James and John. Now he walks up to the villain of the story and he says, follow me, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And here's, here's my favorite part of this story. I love it. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, I love how it just goes there. It's like he just meets Jesus. Jesus says, hey, why don't we do life together? And the next thing you know, Jesus is at Matthew's house. That ought to still happen in the world. That ought to happen where we get a, a little bit of Jesus and he just comes home with us. But it goes on. As good as that is, look at this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. It's the same story over again. It's the story of Jesus at the house of Peter and Andrew and everybody's at the door of that house. Now he's at Matthew's house and all of Matthew's friends are there. Tell you what's convicting. You can profess Christ and you can call yourself a Christian and never bring your friends to meet Jesus. That happens way too much. Redemption Church. We are called by, by Jesus to follow him and he ought to go home with us and we ought to have Jesus in the same room with everybody we know. We ought to bring all of our friends and all of our family to know Jesus. And it says his disciples are there also. And that's a big deal. Because not only do we know Jesus loves this tax collector. But his disciples are now willing to go into the house of the tax collector too. And all that division. And all that prejudice against one another. When Jesus walks in the house. That stuff just kind of goes away. That's our Jesus. Amen. That's our Jesus. I remember I was eight years old and I had an experience with Jesus that changed my life forever. It was on a Sunday, kind of like tonight. I have no idea what was preached, but I know I felt Jesus. And I came to an altar and I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life and I felt his presence and I felt him wash away all of my sins. And I got to tell you, there is a feeling of your heart being totally clean. It's a real feel. Wave your hand at me. Wave your hand at me if you know what I'm talking about. Where Jesus just wash. It's like he gets a good Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean kind of magic eraser. And he just washes, wipes 
every one of your sins, all of your shame, all of your guilt away. I was eight years old and I experienced that on that night. It was January 24th, 1988. It changed my life forever. It continues to change your life when you bring Jesus home with you. Because Jesus didn't stay at the altar and say, Chris, I'll see you next week. Try to come back to church. No, Jesus got up and left that altar with me. And we went to our car, Dad. And we got into that van. What was it called? A silhouette? It was called a silhouette. Gosh, it was hot in the summer. The air conditioning was terrible. But we got in that thing. We got in that car and we were driving to where all children of God should go, uh, all-you-can-eat pizza buffet. Amen. We're so blessed to have one across the street. Well, we went to Mazio's Pizza, and there are video games at Mazio's Pizza. There's all-you-can-eat pizza. There are make-your-own-sodas, and I made the grossest sodas you could ever have. As a kid, I loved Mazio's Pizza, and I probably did a Illegal things there. I was just running all over the place, having a crazy good time. But on this night, I couldn't stop thinking about Jesus Christ. My idea was not about how many tokens could I get, or how many tickets could I get, or how much pizza could I eat. My, I started to weep all over again in the car because something hit my heart. And it, I just started to be impressed with the friends that I know That don't know Jesus is real. And I started started weeping. God, let them know that you're real. I want to introduce my friends to you. God, I want the world to know that you are real. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. Let's just go there for a moment. That is not what religion does. That is not what denominational things do. That's not what any of those things do. That's not what like keep all the rules kind of theology does. No, it's Jesus that does that. When Jesus came into Matthew's life, he came into every part of Matthew's life. Oh, he really followed Jesus. And he invited all of his friends that night to meet Jesus at his home. Oh, how powerful it is to meet Jesus and to take him home with you. To not leave him at a church altar. Not just leave him in a connect group. Let me just go a little further. Sometimes we have a feeling and the feeling and the power and the emotion is great. But it's got to go past that moment. Do you understand? The feeling that you have, that that emotional high, those goosebumps, you know what those are actually for? It's to tell you it's true. And it's real. Okay? But you are missing the moment. You are missing the whole experience if you just go, well, I had that experience back in 1972. No, you're supposed to bring him home with you. And keep living in the moment. Keep living In this thing called being a follower of Jesus. 
Have you invited Jesus to your house? Peter and Andrew, they did like immediately. Matthew, Matthew who said, gosh, I can't get anything right. No one likes me. Well, the king of kings walks up and says, follow me. He invites him immediately to his house. Have you invited Jesus to your house? Has Jesus ever received an invitation to your house? Have you ever introduced your friends to this Jesus? If not, let me challenge us for a moment. If not, what is the difference between us and Matthew? Jesus isn't different, right? How are we different? What's the difference between Peter and Andrew and us? What's the difference? When they met Jesus, Peter and Andrew dropped their nets. They dropped what was so important to them because something more important came along. What's the difference between us and that? When they met Jesus, they were quick to bring Jesus into every part of their life. Is that your Jesus? Is he in every part of your life? You know he wants to be. Those messed up parts of your life that you think everyone would turn away from you if they knew about. Jesus wants to be in the part, that part of your life too. He wants to be in every part of your life. He wants to be in your failures. He wants to be in your, in your, in your weakness. He wants to be in your future. He wants to be Lord over your past. Oh, isn't it so great that you can meet a Jesus and you could meet him today, but he changes everything in the past? And changes everything in the future. Oh, what a Jesus he is. He changed everything. The moment I met him, he changed everything in my past. He changes everything in my future. I love this Jesus. Let me ask you this. What do you think of when you hear the word house of God, house of God. What, get a picture of that in your head. Do you think of large buildings? Do you think of stained glass windows? Do you think statues of Jesus, ornate crosses, padded pews? What do you think of? Do you think about well-trained praise teams? Do you think about <laughs> pipe organs? Do you think about choir leading worship as people sit in their rows and the pastor gets up, he says the words, and then he dismisses and we do it all again next Sunday. Is that what you think of when you hear the words house of God? As a church planter, I can tell you that churches spend a lot of time. They spend a lot of energy. They spend a lot of money trying to provide a church building for people together. We sublease this space. Let me tell you, it is not on the cheap end. Everybody that looks at what we uh, spend on this place always goes, Really? It's that much? Let me tell you, if you're renting space anywhere, it is that much. It is a lot of space. But even beyond uh, money, it is that time and it's that energy every Sunday. They, we have teams of people in here trying to make this place inhabitable, trying to make it 
really a wonderful place for people to come in. We've got a nursery that needs to be prepped. We've got a Sunday school that needs to be prepped. We've got a worship team. We've got digital media. We've got seats that need to be prepped. Bathrooms, there. you can forget about the bathrooms. My gosh, those bathrooms need work. All this stuff. And as a church planner, I can tell you it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of money. And there's a lot of pressure to provide a nice space. And I pray one day that the Lord will open up a door for us to have our own space where we can gather to, where we can minister. And have a, have a space with big wide open doors where everyone gather, everyone in the town gathers at that door to meet Jesus, right? And that whole community is welcome in that space. People that never thought they'd be welcome in a church, they're welcome inside that church. I want that. I pray for that. Will you help me pray for that? However, when I look in the New Testament, when I look in the book of Acts, when I look in uh, the, throughout the Gospels, throughout the letters to the churches, we call them epistles, all those books like Corinthians, Thessalonians, those books. I want to tell you that the idea is not centered on a church building, but on finding a house. Not a church building, but a house. As you look through it, Jesus taught his disciples to enter a town and look for a home to operate from. Matthew 10 and 11 says that. We're just going to throw that up there. And throughout Acts and Epistles, those letters, we see the gospel reach new cities and repeatedly find a home. And then they would meet in a house. Acts 2.46, this is on the birth of the church. Every day they, get, they gathered together in the temple courts, but they also broke bread in their homes. And verse 5 and 42 of Acts, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching, proclaiming. The good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The New, the New Testament church, the church of Jesus Christ, is more about finding a house than finding a rental space or finding a building. It's about finding the house where somebody already lives. The church met in temple courts and from house to house. And Now back in Mark 1, Jesus entered the house of Peter and John. I want you to know he never really left that house. They never once kicked him out. They never once said, hey, Jesus, it was really nice having you. But, you know, we kind of need that space for doing puzzles. Sorry, Papa. All right. Jesus was always welcome in that home. And even when he'd get up early in the morning, they, he didn't come back and they changed the locks on him. Right. He, he was invited into that home, and then he never left. It was the house where Jesus stayed. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit. Jesus is always coming back to that house, and after the crucifixion, that's where he, he hangs on the cross. He dies, he's buried, and then he resurrects. After the resurrection, all the disciples are afraid they're afraid uh, of the Roman soldiers finding them or the Pharisees finding them and they're going to be put on crosses too. Yeah. And so they needed to go someplace for them all to lay 
low and to just kind of hide. Where do you think they went? They went up to the northern part of Galilee. They went up to Capernaum. And it was likely the house of Peter and Andrew where they stayed. And what they did, Savannah, they locked the doors. And all the doors of the house were locked just in case somebody tried to break in on them. And it was in this locked house. Jesus miraculously appeared before them. And it's in this house where the moment Thomas sees the nail prints in his hands and he declares, my Lord and my God. That's at the, that's at post-crucifixion, resurrection. And Jesus just kept coming back to their house. What if we invited Jesus to our house and we never uninvited him? But it was always his house. and He was always welcome there. And he'd show up even unannounced and surprise us in those moments where we're afraid, in the moments we're freaking out, in the moments where we're locking all the doors. What if Jesus showed up in our house in those moments too? He does. He does. What if we invited Jesus into our house and he stayed? I'm going to ask our musicians to come. I'm drawn to a close here. I want to ask you, could your house be the house. We spent some time trying to figure out who's this house, whose house this is. What if it's your house? What if your house is the house where Jesus stays? Could your house be the house where Jesus dwells and does miracles? Could your house be the house where people hear the teaching that changes everything? Could your house be the house where the whole city is drawn to the doors? Could your house be the house where those miracles take place and someone that's far off be drawn to salvation? Could you take what Jesus has blessed and open it up for his purpose? I was about 17 years old and someone gave me a car. My uncle Jimmy gave me a car. It was a 1992 Pontiac Grand Am. It smelled like a cigarette filled with a thousand cigarettes and on fire. That's what that thing smelled like. And I spent hours cleaning that thing. And you know what? I loved every moment of it. I shined that car. I vacuumed that car. I didn't know what cleaning was. I'm sorry, boys. Y'all get that from me. But I cleaned that car like it was like nothing else. I cleaned that car so Big and I was so thankful for that car. God, I knew this. God blessed me with that car. I was praying for a car and out of nowhere, it came to me unexpectedly for free. And I knew God had blessed me with that. And one day when I was at church, I remember I was praying and I was thinking about how God had blessed me with that car. And I said, you know what? I'm going to use that car that you gave me to bring people to church. I'm going to take what you've blessed me with, what you've provided for me, and I'm going to give it back for your purpose. And I'll be, as long as I own that Pontiac Grand Am, I never drove to church without somebody in it. There was always somebody in that car. 
We had such wonderful moments. There were some kids in that car that had no idea what their future held. They, they didn't have a, a mom and dad in their life. And they were asking, what, tell me about this Jesus. And we were, at, we were just solving all the theological problems of the world, just driving around, talking about, well, Jesus said this. And they'd say, wow. And they would study. And all my friends just started reading their Bibles. And we had like driving Bible studies in that Pontiac Grand Am. I could tell you I fit at least seven people in that Pontiac Grand Am once and uh, probably wasn't completely legal. Deborah, don't tell. But listen, God blessed me with that and I gave it back to him. What if we did that with our life? What if we did that with our cars, with our house, with our finances? with your gifts and abilities. I want, as I'm drawn to close, here's your call to action. I'm going to just tell you what it is. Here it is. This week, we have a Connect Group training. Connect Groups are starting back soon. Connect Group training happens this week. And if you want to serve the Lord as a leader of a Connect Group or to host a meeting in your house, we've got eight. A meeting, we'll train you about it, feed you. We want to talk about it. It's this week. It's at my house. We have sign-up sheets right here. We have sign-up sheets back there. We desperately need people to lead a connect group. And we desperately need people to say, I've got a house. I might not be able to have 20 people in my house, but I could have seven. And I would say, that's awesome. Let's do it. If that's you, come sign up. Who's thankful for their home? Now, who wants Jesus in their home? And who wants to bring all their friends to meet Jesus? Do you want that? I want that. So that's my call to action to you, to open up your home and to be a leader of a connect group. And if you can't do that, the week after that, we are launching our new connect group semester. We're going to go 13 weeks on a new semester. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that. That's big for us. That's a big part of our identity because we don't just come, talk about Jesus, have a few minutes with him, and then say, see you next week. No, we're living with him, and we're coming together and celebrating him together in these groups. We have sign-up sheets also here and back there. We, I want everybody to sign up for a connect group. I want to get, get as close to 100% as possible. I want you to make that commitment. I don't want you to make the commitment because, well, you know, Pastor Chris, you know, he'll cry if I don't sign up. Yeah. Don't do it for that reason. I cry easy anyway, Courtney. No, I, I want you to make that reason because you do love this Jesus and you do want to know him more and you do want him to be in your home and in your life and you want to learn how to invite all your friends to know him. That's what I want for us today. That's your call to action today. I want you also to come pray. I'd love for you to pray in this place. We're going to spend some time worshiping over the next moment. In fact, let's just start the music right now. I want us to worship together. I want us, if you have special needs of prayer, I want you to come to this altar. We want to pray for you. If you want God to do something, come in the first two feet. I believe God will meet your needs today. 
that same Jesus that we talked about, he's in this place with us right now. Come on, let's do it. You can sign up right now. You can pray right now. But I do want you to make a move to Jesus right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, God, for being with us in this house. I thank you, God, for touching every heart and every life. I thank you for all our friends watching and listening online. Friend online, Jesus wants to be in your life. He wants to be in your home. And when he comes home with you, everything changes. Invite him to change everything. Oh, Jesus, change everything in Jesus' name. Come on, let's reach out to God. Come on, let's get out of our house. Come on, let's come talk to God in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214 856-0550.